0: Our Father in heaven, we thank you so much for your grace and mercy, the rain that shows us how you care for the world that you made, this good earth, and and yet in the midst of the sin and brokenness that's all around us, God, we pray that you would help us to be effective witnesses to those who don't know you, and particularly as we think about that this morning and our work as we have opportunity to share the gospel, we pray that you'd help us to be effective ambassadors for Christ. To be able to winsomely and lovingly open our mouths and share the gospel and and adorn the gospel with our lives as well we pray that you'd help us to be more effective at that and we pray for fruit God, that, that we would see sinners saved through our witness and they would be added to our number and that your kingdom would advance through our humble efforts and we pray for your help and thinking about that this morning in jesus name amen all right, we've come to that dreaded topic, evangelism, sharing the gospel at work. I I looked back at our results from our work, our survey I did at the very beginning of the class, and I think there were uh, I don't know twenty five people that answered the survey, and about seventy five percent of those people said they either never shared the gospel at work or like only rarely or or occasionally the gospel at work. So I realize this is probably a, a challenging topic to think about. For some people, maybe depending on your work, it maybe you have an environment where it's easy to share the gospel and you're used to doing that. Uh, for many of us though, there are barriers, challenges that make sharing the gospel at work, sharing the gospel in general is challenging, and sometimes in the workplace there's added added challenges, added barriers. So we're going to think about those this morning And hopefully, uh, as we do so, we'll remember the gospel is good news for us as well. That uh, We're not here to heap guilt on us, to motivate us to share the gospel by feeling guilty about how poorly we've done it in the past or how rarely we've done it in the past. But instead, the gospel is good news, not only that saves us, but then gives us strength and power to obey and grow in obedience to God. So, I thought we could share an example of a, of a a woman, Susan, who has been an effective evangelist in her workplace. This is brought to us by the Babylon Bee. (laughs) Babylon's Bee New Evangelism Report column is a series where we will be profiling heroes of the faith, (laughs) brave examples of Christian courage in reaching our communities for Christ. Today we're taking a look at Susan from Toledo, Ohio. Susan employs an interesting evangelism tactic. She says, God bless you. Whenever a coworker sneezes, she does this in hopes that one day her coworkers will say something like, "Hey Sue, I noticed that you say God in front of bless you, while other people who work with us just say bless you. Is there a reason for that? Can you take a few minutes to share your faith with me and perhaps invite me to ch- invite me to church?" Sadly, it's tough work. She's been with Cyberdyne, a com- company that takes online reservations for restaurants, for over 25 years, and not a single coworker has asked her about her faith. It's rocky ground around here, she told us. I must say God bless you several times a week, and no one has asked me to give a reason for the hope that is in me. You'd think they'd be chomping at the bit to ask me about my faith. I wish there were a way I could bring it up, but I don't want anyone to think I'm a weirdo. Susan says she might ditch the tactic soon if it doesn't prove fruitful and replace it with wearing a tiny cross necklace. Let's all join in prayer for Susan. So sometimes we laugh at this, but... Hopefully we realize that there's more to sharing the gospel you know that you hear this many times uh, I think it's attributed to Saint. Francis of azisi preach the gospel and if necessary use words. I mean it, it sounds nice maybe it goes well on a bumper sticker or something but it's just it's not true it's not biblical preaching the gospel is a verbal proclamation it requires words it's there's communication that you have to or information that you have to communicate so not that it's wrong to say god bless you and obviously we want to we're going to talk about this in a bit we want to adorn the gospel with good works but sharing the gospel requires opening our mouths or in some other some way communicating information so we're going to be looking at this, main, uh, this idea of how do I share the gospel at work, or this question. In Sebastian Traeger and Greg Gilbert's book, this is chapter 9, they ask this question, how can I share the gospel at work? So we are going to talk about two, well let me just give you the main idea of uh, what, what I'm going to propose as the answer to that, and then we'll, we'll unpack it as we go along. Followers of King Jesus are his ambassadors in the workplace ambassadors of Jesus are called both to adorn the gospel with good works and share the gospel in words. So we'll talk about both of these. We'll start with what it means to adorn the gospel with good works and then share the gospel in words. And then we'll get into reasons why this is hard. Hopefully you can be thinking about that. You probably don't have to think too hard uh, about reasons why this is hard to do. And then Uh, Also, examples of ways, strategies, biblical exhortations that would help us in this area, and then also just some practical steps we might take to to grow in this. So, let's start by thinking about what does it mean to adorn the gospel with good works. I get that language from Titus chapter 2. In Titus, Paul is... Speaking to Titus, and he's encouraging. He's actually in, in the in the churches where Titus was serving. There were a lot of people. Apparently, there was a, a trend for people to be really interested in like spiritual debates, theological issues that were kind of esoteric and you know intellectual. He ta- He talks about how they're they're arguing about genealogies and things like that, but. He says about those people, I'm going to jump, actually I'll read Titus one sixteen first. first, these people that are like this, that are always like trying to debate and think about all these, you know, deep intellectual issues, they profess to know God, but they deny Him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. So, that's the negative example that, you know, a verbal profession, even if you're sharing the gospel you've got a christian bumper sticker or what you know you you're doing you're doing you're making effort to share the gospel but by the way you live you have you can actually be denying the gospel in contrast to that paul exhorts in verse titus 2 verses 9 and 10 he, here he's speaking to bondservants which again we remember are the closest thing really biblically we have to what it is to be an employee someone who's under the authority in a socioeconomic setting uh, or under under a master in a socioeconomic setting. He says, Bond servants are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith, so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. What does that mean to adorn the doctrine of God our Savior? Any takers?
1: The truth of, of his word and
0: Mhm. Yeah, it's the it's the word is actually used like to refer to clothing in other contexts. So it's like when Paul gave instructions in First Timothy two, verse nine, about how women were to adorn themselves, not with like braided hair and costly jewels and all of this, but with respectable modest behavior as in accordance with good works or something to that effect I'm that's that's my paraphrase um, the word he used there adorn it, it has it has the idea of, of you know, putting on clothing so when we think about that this is a different use is more of a figurative use of that but the doctrine of God our Savior that is uh, you know everything that he unpacks I think that's his, his way of summarizing the gospel and all of its Implications for our lives, the truths about God, and how He saved us from our sin. So, adorning that is yeah, making it, making it attractive, providing a positive example so that people can see what it's done, what this doctrine means. It's not, these aren't just. Intellectual ideas that are out there for for our academic learning; these are doctrines that actually change our lives, and we have the opportunity through our good works to to do that, to demonstrate that for others. So, and when we think about that, though, when you think about good works that would adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior, what are some examples? Like, what do you think of as good works that would do this adorning for us? How, how do we do that, actually? I was thinking of you know where I was going with that. Sometimes, when I think of that, you might think, well, maybe we can you know volunteer at a nonprofit organization or help out at humanitarian needs. I mean, those there are good ways like in, in society that we can adorn the gospel and show the love of Christ. But I think. Paul has in mind just very ordinary things. You read through the letter. If you're in Titus, you could look up like the verses ahead of this. You know, it's just very ordinary things. And the verses after it, he talks about spe- speaking evil of no one, obeying your rulers, avoiding quarrelling, being gentle. Like if you think about that, especially in the workplace, how many opportunities are there where quarrelling is just normal, or where people are not gentle? People are like using their authority abusively speaking harshly to either employees or clients or speaking evil of someone behind their back i mean in some context that's just normal uh, behavior and so paul is exhorting titus and and the church there at crete that they would in these ordinary ordinary christian behavior as you live that out in the midst of a difficult situation you can adorn the gospel and and you know, he he makes this a big point uh, throughout the letter, even in the end of the chapter, end of the book, Titus three eight. I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. You know that good works are to be something we devote ourselves to, and, and that doesn't necessarily mean adding more volunteer efforts into your life. It just means in the context that you are, in your family, in your workplace, in your normal interactions with people, show the fruit of the Spirit, being loving, gentle, patient, kind, using your words wisely and carefully, self-controlled. I mean, all of these things are ways that we can indeed adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. But we know that it you know so while that is essential because you really can deny god by your works adorning the doctrine is not the same as communicating the doctrine it isn't it isn't a replacement for actually speaking the truth so i mentioned in our main idea that we're called to be ambassadors of jesus and i get that ambassador language from second corinthians 5 17 through 21 someone want to read for us those verses
2: Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake we made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God.
0: So you've probably heard or quoted or very familiar with both verse seventeen. If anyone is in Christ he's a new creation, that's a common verse we refer to, and then also twenty one, which is a you know one of the most compact summaries of the gospel, I think, in all of Scripture. He's talking about how you know, Christ was made sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. But packed in between there, we see Paul talking about what he calls the ministry of reconciliation. So he says, on the one hand... God, verse 18, God through Christ reconciled us to himself, and then he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. And then in 19, he explains that. What does this mean, the ministry of reconciliation? That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. There's the fact of the matter of what God has done, that he's reconciling the world to himself through the sacrifice of Christ, not counting their trespasses against them because the sin has been imputed to Christ. But then he adds in this element of the ministry that has been entrusted to us, which in this case it's Paul and his... I mean, he's speaking in the first person, You know, his, the ministry that he had been given along with those who were serving with him. He says that we, therefore, are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. Now, this is interesting to think about. I mean, how many of you have been pray, pray for people to be saved? I mean, probably all of you. If you've been a Christian for a long time, I'm sure you have family members, coworkers, workers um, neighbors, some that you maybe have prayed for for many years that they would be saved. And that's good. We should do that. But you see how Paul's thinking here is it's not as though God just saves people out of the blue. I mean, sometimes you know, obviously, God is sovereign. He can work however He pleases, but His way of working, in general, is that He would work through His ambassadors, those people that are called. You know, ambassador is a representative of a sovereign, someone who is entrusted with a message and then goes to enemy territory or another nation and and communicates that message to the people there. And that's the language Paul's using. That's what we are entrusted with a message. And then we are to take that message to others. And this is how God is reconciling the world to himself. He's actually using ordinary Christians like you and me that are his ambassadors. God making his appeal through us. That's kind of an amazing thing to think about. God is the one who's actually making his appeal. But he's, he's the one who possesses all power and wisdom and glory. And yet he's making his appeal through Humble, bumbling sinners like you and I who get say it wrong and mess things up and miss opportunities that we should have taken, and all of this, and yet we've been entrusted with this message to take to others. The message, obviously, you know, thinking about it as an ambassador, this is, you know. Uh, Christianity 101, but we don't want to go beyond this, just to to remind us all. You know, as an ambassador, the ambassador doesn't get to make up the message or say whatever he or she wants to. The ambassador is bringing the message of the sovereign who sent the ambassador. So the message of the gospel is, you know, it's the basic truths about. You know, I usually um, think back. If you haven't read it or if you haven't heard this, um, Greg Gilbert has a little book called What is the Gospel? It's a great just way to unpack, like, where do you even start? And can you explain? There's so much in the Bible. How could you explain the message of the Gospel in two minutes to somebody if that's all you have at work or, you know, in in passing? You know, obviously there's more that could be said, but if you think about it as four main categories of who is God, That you can spend a lot of time on, or just a brief summary, but God, the sovereign ruler who created all things, who is perfect and holy and just and good, who made the world and us and is our authority over us. And then that's the first point, who is God? Second, who is man? We are created in the image of God, and yet we're fallen into sin, we're under the curse of sin, we're guilty. We deserve God's condemnation because of that. And then, so God, man, and then Christ. Who is Christ, is God's appointed, He is the Messiah, the the Savior, who's come, as we just read here, to bear our sin for us, to, to suffer the punishment that we deserve, so that we might become the righteousness of God. And then the last part, so you go God, man, Christ, the first three, and then the fourth is a response. That, you know, this is a message that requires a response. It's not just a, a fun fact to know: It requires a response of belief, of repentance and repentance and faith, which are really two sides of the same coin. Biblical faith is repentant faith. Biblical repentance is trusting repentance. These things, faith and repentance, go together. That's the response that's called for. So, I, you know, I know many of you have heard that before, um, but that's just a reminder. If you're trying to think of, you know, how to even what is the gospel, uh, if you haven't read that book, it's a great way to just reinforce that in your own mind. But you know, we practice that talking with your kids or you know grandkids or you know even just you know do it to the mirror if you want. See, can you articulate that in a way that's clear, that's concise, that hits, that gets to the main points? And you might, you know, obviously it would be different. You have to respond to the situation, and there may be dialogue, but at least get in your own mind clear. This is the message. If you are an ambassador, since you are an ambassador, God actually makes His appeal through you and I talking with in ordinary ways with ordinary people. Now, I'm assuming, since I know most of you, that's not really an assumption, that this is actually not a new idea to you. Like, oh, I'm supposed to be sharing the gospel at work. Oh my goodness, I did, never knew that. Um, I'm guessing there's not many of you here that are thinking like, that this is a brand new idea. But I'm sure all of you are realizing or thinking about ways, reasons why this is difficult. Or maybe you've experienced. Maybe some of you... Some people are really gifted at evangelism, and maybe it's not difficult for them. I'm not one of them, and maybe so. If you are, you can come up and teach the class with me. But um, what are the obstacles? Like, you know, if, we, if this is true that we're commissioned by the King to bring this message of hope and life to. Lost sinners, and this is good news. That you know, why would anyone not want to believe this message that you can have eternal life with God and fellowship with Him? I mean, this is all this is good news. But why is it hard? Like, what what are the reasons why we struggle to open our mouths and say those words to people? In the, I mean, I'm thinking in, at work, but it could be in general too, in other other situations.
2: Zero. Oh,
0: yeah, what kind of consequences? God, God, awkwardness,
2: um, maybe not going to get it right. Yeah, Isaiah? I was going to say awkwardness, just
0: thinking of the other day, of- Louis
2: came in and he said, Ben's trying to get me to come to your church. <laughs> and I should have picked up wherever you left off and tried to start a conversation with him, but instead I just that's great,
1: you
0: should, and that was all I said, and then I kicked myself for the rest of the day. Yeah, this is the car, the guy at Honda Motors, or Crown Motors, and yeah, I've gotten to him a little bit, and I asked, since I knew Isaiah was working there, I I said that Travis went to our church, or that his dad used to be a pastor, and yeah, invited him to church, but yeah, we can keep working on Lewis, but yeah, it is awkward, it can be challenging, especially if you're not expecting it, like, that's another...
2: Almost everybody that I encounter has uh, formed uh, an unfortunate relationship of ideas in their head about what or who God might be, mm-hmm. and have a, a, have had horrible experiences connected with that. Right, and so oftentimes that's the biggest struggle of talking about who God really is. What God has really done, and um, t- t- trying to work through the, the disabusing somebody of the relationship to the ideas they have about God in their head.
0: Right. Yeah, and sometimes the ideas they have about Christians in their head, too. Like, they're all hypocrites. They're, you know, why would I want to go? I don't need any of that in my life, kind of thing. Yeah. I, would
2: say I have a similar situation, but it's kind of the opposite, where the majority of people that I talk to would say they're Christians and so they would say oh I'm fine I, don't like I appreciate you talking to me but I'm, I know I'm a Christian which maybe they are but at the same time you are down the gospel and it's something completely different right? yeah I was going to say something kind of like that it seems like people um the, the gospel is good news
1: but there also is the fact that we are sinners and people don't and right it, it seems like most people you run into think they're okay right you know they don't so it's offensive you know the, the part that like you are not right. In right standing with God and I mean that has to be part of it right you are not in right standing with God you, you know and people are offended by that right they think they're okay. Right. So who are you to tell them different? You know? Right.
0: No, you're right, Julie. It is a, a, a folly to those who are perishing in a sense that it, it doesn't make sense. Like, I'm I'm better than all those other people. Like, why? What do you mean? Why, why do I need God?
2: It's almost as if you have to be like a cultural apologeticist and so more insecure about the answers you don't know. Then it's not like you're insecure about the gospel or the authority of it. It's just... Okay, you threw out a question about transgenderism, and we haven't had this class yet, or whatever. And now it's like, okay, I don't know, I haven't really thought through right. this whole you know, apologetic about transgenderism, you know what I mean? Or something to that effect, you know, so you're not... So there's, I think, a hesitancy there sometimes. Right.
0: Know? Yeah, no, that's very real, too. I mean, feeling like you don't have all the answers and not knowing not being, trying to anticipate all the questions and then, you know, feeling ill-equipped to answer all of them. Um, I think the humility
2: in that segment, I just, I don't know, I'm sure
0: it speaks to, I think, helps sometimes, too, though. Yeah. Yeah, no, that is, there's there's more that could be said. Those are all, I mean, things that I had um, suggested up here, but, you know, awkwardness, fear of causing offense, you know, this perceived boundary between, like, what's Acceptable to talk about in, in a work environment like this is you're you're encroaching on, you know, the religion and politics, those two things that you're never supposed to talk about with, you know, certain people, um, or lack of time. I don't know, depending on your workplace. Mine is usually very busy, deadline driven. You know, things have to happen by a certain time, and if they don't, then you know, nothing really happens. I mean, the world, you know, it feels like the world's going to end, but it doesn't. <laughs> uh, <laughs> But you know, thinking like, can I lose fifteen minutes right now to talk to this person? Like, what's going to happen to what I'm supposed to be doing in these fifteen? I mean, that's a. I know for me, that's been a a reason in the past where I'm just not even really thinking about sharing the gospel. Maybe it's against the like official policy if you're if you're a government employee. Maybe that would be a problem. Or, like I said, feeling inadequate and unprepared. These are all obstacles, Uh, and there's there's more. So, what are we to do with these obstacles? I'm going to share some verses from. The Scripture, I mean this, someday maybe we'll do like a, an entire Sunday school, sorry, discipleship class trimester on evangelism, but so there's a lot that could be said. But at some, just some high points I think that we'll hit on. To begin with, you know, a passage that's familiar to many of you, Matthew 28, 16 through 20, when Jesus gives what we call the Great Commission, He appears to the eleven disciples in this mountain, verse 16. Some they worshipped him; some doubted. That's kind of puzzling, isn't it? These are not these are disciples that you know. Not only did they just abandon Jesus, and you know Peter betrayed him, but now they they're seeing him and they're they're doubting. So, you know, they aren't people that have it all together. They're not the ones who have all the answers to the cultural issues of the day. They're they're. Sinners that are all, you know, no, they fought, they're following Jesus, but they come with their own weaknesses and baggage. Jesus came and said to them, "All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the Father, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, to the end of the age." Now. I'm not really going to talk in detail about this section here in the middle, uh, the actual command to go and make disciples of the nations, baptizing them and teaching them. I just want to draw your attention, uh, in light of, as we think about the challenges, the, uh, the obstacles to evangelism, what Jesus bookends this command with. First, he, he reminds them, he te- tells them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. You think about this, is this is right after he rose from the dead. So, he's just defeated death and sin. Like, the resurrection was the divine stamp of approval. that He has all authority. And so, all authority has been given to him. And then at the end, he says, Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. That's even, you know, redundant. He could have just said, I'm with you always. Uh, but he, sa- he re- says, I'm with you always to the end of the age. He's Emmanuel, God with us. And specifically, he's telling him that in this context of like going and making disciples, going and sharing the gospel, in that moment that, of awkwardness when, you know, your supervisor comes up and says, hey, I, I heard you went to, you know, you went to church. Or what did you do that this weekend? Or uh, that moment right there when you have an opportunity to either say something or not. Christ is with you. He has all authority, and He's actually with you. I mean, in the midst of your bumbling, uncertainty, not knowing all the answers, uh, that's the moment when He is with you. And He's going to, you know, this doesn't mean it's always going to go smoothly. You're always going to have the, just the right words to say. You're going to make mistakes as you go. But the disciples were the same way. <laughs> you know, the disciples made mistakes. They they were just like us. They didn't have it all put together. They didn't have all the answers uh, but he was with them. And we see, you know, read through the book of Acts, we see how he built the church through their their work. So that's really, you know, the if there's anything else to take away, remembering that Jesus is with you always to the end of the age, in the midst of those moments. Two other th- things I want to just th- throw out for you to think about as you're, you think about rem- sharing the gospel. One, I just want to re- remind us to remember the gospel for yourselves. Like, this is an area I know I have in the past felt like evangelism is something that I've tried to do out of guilt. Like, I need to please God. I need to earn His favor. I am I need to share the gospel. And what, I remember Max Stiles. I don't know if any of you remember Max Stiles or know of Max Stiles. He wrote a little book, a couple of books on, on evangelism. One called Marks of the Messenger. But he used to... He referred to what... I'm looking back at what I often did when I was younger. He referred to it as throw-up evangelism, where you're feeling guilty, like, I know I need to share the gospel, I know I need to share the gospel, and then, like, finally, you get up the nerve, and then all of a sudden, you, like, find some opportunity, you don't really, you know, take, you know, there's not really a conversation or a dialogue, and maybe not even... You know caring that much about the other person or what how they're hearing it but you just you know throw up these you know four verses or four points and you know you shared the gospel and then you walk away and you know you're kind of pat yourself on the back like I, I did it um, you know that's motivations to share the gospel out of guilt because it's a box to check and you feel like you're not doing it well enough you know they, they don't lead to just a natural sharing of this good news and you know remembering in our in the midst of our weakness instead instead of thinking like i i need to feel guil- i'm guilty of, of not doing this well enough and i need to do it better I mean, look at what the author of hebrews says you know we don't have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weakness but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin so and we need to realize that it is a temptation that we face a temptation to be afraid you know paul said in romans one i i'm not ashamed of the gospel like there is a real temptation to be ashamed. I face that, especially. I think it depends on the person, but if so, if someone's like a more educated, intellectual, there's a guy that I know from Sun Oaks who's a who's a doctor, and for me, like I feel like he's a smart guy. I, I'm I'm intimidated. I'm I, I have a temptation to be ashamed of the gospel in that kind of a setting. It is a real temptation that we face. But in the midst of our temptation, we are to remember that we have a high priest who is. He is able to sympathize with our weakness and the exhortation for us is to draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. That's, you know, drawing near to the throne of grace and asking for help is the posture that that will lead us to being able to share the gospel in a, in a healthy way, not just, you know, throwing it up on people so that we can feel better about ourselves. The other thing I'd like to point out is just we should be praying for help in this endeavor. you know this is where you look at the apostle Paul. Um, he prayed for help. He knew all of the answer like he was the cultural apologist of the day, he knew jew Jewish religion, the scriptures inside and out. he was you might you know the the evangelist par excellence or, and yet you look in a few places in the in his letters and he writes. To these churches and asks them to pray for him, and these are prayers that you know you and I need to pray for ourselves. But you know, thinking of Paul, you know, and you realize when he's asking for prayer, you kind of get you ask the question of like, well, well, what is the temptation that even Paul was facing? Like in Ephesians six. 18 through 20, he asks the believers there to pray. He says, Praying at all times in the spirit, making supplication for all the saints, and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. So, what's the temptation that Paul is facing? in That he has in mind when he's asking for that prayer? Yeah, words. Words. yeah, he's he's afraid. He's um you know, he says twice like, <laughs> that he wants to declare it boldly. Mm-hmm. You know, he's afraid. He's encountering situations, you know, even even as much as he knew the gospel and you know he'd seen the risen Christ in that Damascus Road experience and yet he needed prayer for boldness. <laughs> you know, honestly just he's just to open his mouth. I mean sometimes that's the first step is like just Getting your mouth, getting the first sentence out of your mouth. Paul himself was asking for prayer for that. So you know, we too, we should ask for prayer that God would give us boldness. And not only boldness, but you see Colossians four. He says uh, here he, sa- he says, uh, "Continue in prayer, steadfastly, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us, that God may open to us a door for the word, to declare the mystery of Christ. On account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak." So, what are what is he asking for there? There's actually two things he's asking for in prayer:
1: opportunities.
0: Opportunities, right? In verse. 3, that God may open to us a door for the Word. And what else? Clarity. Clarity. Yeah, that's the same prayer, you know, when you, if you have that, that moment where you realize you have an opportunity and you're not sure what to say or if it's going to come across clearly, you know, Paul had the same fear. Like He wanted to make sure that he would speak the Word clearly, that it would be, he would speak it in a way that it would be understood by his audience, so I've found over the years and I'm sure some of you can attest to this that if you're regular about praying for opportunities to share the gospel and praying for boldness praying for clarity know that's a prayer that God delights to answer I mean it doesn't mean you can share the gospel every day but if you're You'll be much more ready. You'll be, your heart will be in a place where you're ready, where you where you are rec- going to recognize those opportunities. You know, the converse, obviously, and many of you can relate, but I, I know for me oftentimes, it's not until after that conversation finishes. You meet up, you find a friend from high school, you meet up in the store, you're talking about life, and then two hours later you're realizing, I, I didn't even ask him about, you know we used to go to youth group together i didn't even ask him where he's going to church or something i mean you, know, you if you're not praying, if you are praying your heart will be in a place where you're thinking of those questions and you're you you're kind of you're intentional in your in your thinking and your your desires you're looking for those opportunities that's i think praying not only it changes us and that it it prepares us but it also you know god gives us boldness he gives us clarity and he gives us opportunities the last set of verses I wanted to share was just, like I said, um, remembering that this actually is a, a temptation. Like There's a temptation to be afraid of the gospel, to be, or to be ashamed of the gospel. And, you know, as Paul told us in 1 Corinthians 10-13, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation He will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. I read a book one time about evangelism. It was written by people that were training new believers in a missionary context. About, in a, I think it was in Indonesia, somewhere in, that, in Southeast Asia, training them to share the gospel. And their goal was actually to teach them to share the gospel every day. Like, they'd, they'd give them basic messages, basic truths of the gospel, and then they'd say, okay, go out and tell someone this message today. And then they'd come back the next day, and they'd report on how it went. And this Western missionary was commenting to some of his own other, his other Western contacts that his goal was, he did not want them to become like Western Christians who might spend their whole lives and never share the gospel. He wanted he didn't want them to think it was normal to just go through their, their day without sharing the gospel that it, it in fact it should be the opposite <laughs> that it should be normal for us to just always be thinking about this and it actually is a temptation to us to to minimize the gospel to be ashamed of it to think it doesn't matter i mean that the Matthew 28 to go and make disciples is a a command it's not a it's not a suggestion it's not an optional endeavor for us as as followers of Jesus so we need to recognize um, that there is—it is a temptation to be ashamed and to not share the gospel, but that God is faithful and He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. He will help us. Uh, you know, see, even Paul exhorted this to to Timothy uh, in Second Timothy that uh, in—I'll just start at verse eight. 2 Timothy 1, eight he says, well, in verse 7, God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. So, all the way back into the New Testament, there's been a temptation to be ashamed and to you know, be afraid, to have a spirit of fear, but god is faithful we can we can ask we can pray ask him for help and he will help us so what about okay that's all well and good you say you know what about tomorrow like i got to go to work tomorrow What, what what do i do tomorrow you know or you know the next day and so on what do you what are some ways to start like if i'm sure this is like i said i'm sure this isn't new to you any of you like that you should share the gospel with people but what are some ways to to start yeah. Yeah.
1: Praying yeah. for yourself too. That I mean, who knows what or how you behaved in the past, but it is a new day, and to start with the mindset that you better be, you know, acting. If you're going to speak it out, you better be showing love and and the words and the things that are coming out of your... Right. warning the gospel. You can't... You can't act one way and say another. Right. On the practical side,
2: I feel like when you actually come to talk to someone, for myself, I'm able to get my brain off of i got to get the gospel out there, and I just think about, like, being a human in a world where you don't have any solid hope. I can right. imagine what that would be like and so I, I would try to think about caring for them the like. I want you to know this right. I want you to know this so that you're able to have a little bit of hope as opposed to where you might be outside of that right. so a little bit
0: different. yeah that's good Melinda? I found that praying like, specifically
2: for a bridge to start talking about something spiritual and like just praying specifically that there would be sort of like, a bridge into that and some of the most outrageous bridges have come up. Mm-hmm. Stuff you would never expect, and it just sort of, oh, and now
0: it's not right. that we're talking about something. Right. just looking for sort of entry point. Right. Um,
1: and then not always necessarily having the goal of communicating everything about the gospel in one day. Right. Like you're saying, but like, okay, is this where I communicate this truth? Especially right. in like the long term work relationships. Right. Sometimes you have one minute to say something's true and then you gotta back off. Right. But um,
0: thinking you can
1: more in the long term communicating the truth. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. then I don't feel the pressure of like, I gotta get everything in this one
0: moment. Yeah, I think I think Rosaria Butterfield said something like, "Aim for thousands of conversations with your neighbors." Like, you know, and you can if you're planting those seeds, you know, you don't have to throw it all on them on at once. You might you may have an opportunity to to have a long conversation, and then you should when it's right. There's a lot of things you could say. Um, you guys have all said great things. Let me just put a few things that I had come up with. So Monday morning talk, like, it's very common. I don't know, depending on your workplace. Oh, what'd you do this weekend? Like, oh, I, you know, I went to the, oh, I watched the football game. I, you know, went skiing, what you know, so on. Um, do you even mention like, oh, I went to church. I heard this great message. Like, or it doesn't have to be offensive. It doesn't have to be like a, you don't have to preach the sermon back to them. But, you know, I found sometimes in my mind, I'll just censor that part of my weekend out. Like, oh, they don't really care that I taught a Sunday school class on work. I'll just, I won't mention that. And I've t- found myself trying to correct that and just speak about it naturally. Like, oh, I went to church and I heard this great message, or and maybe that's all the, the only place it goes, or maybe it you know provides opportunity for further conversation. Inviting coworkers to church events—that's simple, easy, pretty low risk—and you go to a church that preaches the gospel at every service and most events. You know, the people are going to hear the gospel. I invited um, a friend. To church a few months ago, a year ago or so, and he came with his wife. He was from a Hindu background; she's from Catholic background. Neither were saved, and you know they sat through the sermon, and then uh, at, you know they they listened to the whole service. And they're not here, so I don't. Hopefully, this doesn't embarrass them. But Paul and Arlene Miranda came up to them, talked to them afterwards. Um, invited them to to lunch they went out I went out with them to Brito Bandito. Paul and Arlene shared their testimony with them um, about how they'd come out of Catholic Arlene had come out of Catholicism and here's this Catholic girl who you know is basically where Arlene was 20 years ago and Arlene was able to share the gospel and I mean but it started with just like inviting them to church right? which seems I don't know. That's that's doesn't that's not that exciting, you know. Just come to church with me. But you, you know, you, we have a we are in this together in the sense that you don't know how someone else might connect with your unsaved coworker or relative if they come to church and, and meet meet someone. Do you understand? I was
1: just going to say, make it personal. It's easy to just kind of slap something up, up on Facebook, which there's a place for that too. But there is nothing like a personal invitation.
2: I want you to come with me, you know, and face to face if possible
0: right yeah share away the gospel has encouraged you give away a good christian book this happened to me a little while ago a contractor i was talking to on a monday morning he was i asked him how his weekend was and he he shared. um said something like you know it's kind of a hard weekend i went to f- i had two funerals for people that i grew up with and and that was kind of where it was i was kind of where it stopped or he wasn't going to necessarily go much further and i but i just said you know do you mind it if I tell you what the Bible says about death or share share what the Bible's message about death is or something to that effect. He said, sure, go ahead. I mean, and so we had a, it wasn't a long conversation, but maybe a five minute conversation about how the gospel gives us hope. I guess that's jumping down here, but you know, sharing, sometimes if you just ask someone's permission to share something, one, it a little bit takes the edge off a little bit. It's not like you're forcing it down their throat because they have the freedom to say no. Like, I don't want to hear that or not now or maybe later, you know, some people might say that. But if you ask someone's permission to share something about the, you know, what the Bible, do you mind if I, do you want to know what the Bible has to say about that? Or can I share that with you? Or that's really, the Bible's really helped me to deal with my own depression. Can I share with you how that's helped me? Or, you know, share asking permission to do that. You know, giving a good Christian book, asking good questions like Caleb was saying, like trying to understand where this person's really at, not just, you know, Putting, the, putting this message in front of them without really knowing the questions they're asking or you know reading the Bible together with a co-worker you know there's a lot of there's a lot of ways and there's many more but you know just starting somewhere, I think I say later just beginning where you are like the people in front of you in your life just as Janelle said if you just start praying for them I think that was Janelle praying for them, praying for yourself and just looking for the opportunities you'll see there's opportunity there's, they're they're there. All right, that was Paul, not Janelle. Sorry. Um I said we're one. All right. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm going to ask so, Sarah Kalkin is going to come up in a second, but I want to throw one other curveball at you as you think about this, which they, they throw at you in this book. But, you know, this is all, every, everything that I just said is still valid. But, would you th- think about, or could you think about, doing all that we just said? in a different place in the world where there is a, perhaps a greater need or not that there's people here need the gospel too but where there are fewer christians who are doing that already you know globalization our trends are changing the landscape of global mission cities are growing all over the world they're increasingly diverse and then in many of those cities there are security measures in place where you can't get missionary visas to go in as a you know, get your Bible degree and go be a missionary somewhere. But if you want to go be a software engineer in just about any city in the world, you can go do that, and you'll get a, a business visa, and you can go do everything we just said, but in a different context among people that likely have never met a Christian before. So some things they offer is you think if you're going to think about that, they well they say leverage your job instead of leave your job, and in. Le- Leveraging your job, they offer you two categories to think about. Doing your job well and then doing it strategically. So do it well. If you have an opportunity to actually, you know, many of you here, if you have a career, you've been working in different areas of, of the economy, you have, actually, you have tangible skills that you could actually take and go somewhere else. Or if you're in a place in life where you're thinking about what you want to do in life, maybe think about what, what's a, a skill that could be taken elsewhere that is tangible and that would actually help people. I mean, the list is long of those types of careers. But, you know, nursing, engineering, technical things, and the list would go on of, of skills that you could take to any major city in the, in the world and um, be, you know, interacting with co-workers who have never met a Christian before, who have never, never met a, another human that could explain the gospel to them. But to do that, you know, I've heard it said before, you have people that go overseas that can either be job takers, job fakers, or job makers. The job faker is like the model, like, oh, I'll just go pretend to do some job and then you know share the gospel like that hopefully is is on the decline that model but actually either taking a job or making a job by taking a business overseas if you have a skill or experience in your career and you can do that well and you can be a productive member of society then could you do that in another in another context if you're teaching english that um, you know everyone wants to learn english somewhere or even if you're in your retirement years you have skills um would you have opportunity to do that elsewhere just briefly, if you were to consider that, you're not going to do anything overseas that you're not already doing here in the sense of you're not going to all of a sudden become a great evangelist. Or So whether you go or stay, God's calling on us is to be faithful in, in doing those things here and now. But, if you have an opportunity to do it somewhere else, it would be wise I mean, it's, it's something that would be wise to consider so that's my my uh, aside for missions. thinking about this just as some points of application. since God has called you to be his ambassador in your workplace, remember the gospel, pray for opportunities to share the gospel. Think of specific people that you can share the gospel with this year. I don't know if that's you know I hope I've tried to do that for myself just because it helps me to have some structure to my This nebulous idea of, oh, I'm going to share the gospel with someone, someday. Like, who can I share the gospel with? Specific people in a specific time frame, and I'm going to pray that I would be able to share the gospel with them during that time. But begin where you are. You don't have to know all the answers or have your life all together. And then be accountable to others. We can ask each other, how's it going? Did you share the gospel with anyone um, this week or this month? All right, that's all I have to say. I went a little bit long, but I'd like to, when I call Sarah up now, to hear about... How the gospel has influenced her in her thinking about her vocation Thanks Sarah yes. all right well Sarah, what kind of work do you do um,
1: I work at home and I keep at home and I homeschool my kids
0: um, yeah is that I get, what are the hours for that kind of a job right? <laughs> <laughs>
1: Um, that kind of work is like two and a half full-time jobs. (laughs) Um, But, yeah, it's all the
0: time. (laughs) Right. And it must be a great pay then, at least. uh, Good benefits. uh, There are
1: definite rewards.
0: (laughs) Uh, Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure... Um, yeah, I know I know what you're talking about. So how does your work reflect God's design from creation?
1: Um, well, um, God created women to be a helper to our husbands. And so I definitely have that as I'm making the home and as I'm teaching our kids. That is part of that, of helping my husband. And then um, just working. Um, work is what the whole class has been about. And I think God designed family. He designed Adam and Eve, Eve, Eve to be a helper, and then they had kids, and um, so there's that um, design. And then He's a relational God. I mean, the Trinity, and um, and then us, we see that, and that's how we grow as we uh, live in community with each other. And right. that's what I'm doing at home with my kids in a very close community. So.
0: right, yeah, and there's even a sense I think, you know, in Genesis one twenty-eight. Uh, this commission was to be fruitful and multiply, so the assumption is not a detailed you know explanation of parenting in Genesis one, but I think it's assumed that if you 're going to multiply you 're going to have little humans that are you're going to follow God after you, then you'll have to teach them how to do that. <laughs>
1: And then even the name Eve means life giver. And so as I gave life to most of my kiddos, biological life, but I give life every day to Mm. them as spiritual life. And then not just my kids, but in all the realms that the Lord has me. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah, even, I know, and I don't, I know you're involved with classical conversations, right? But I don't remember, I'm just thinking in homeschooling, um, there's an element of that of just, I guess, and every everyone everyone in the home in some capacity is has that responsibility for teaching their children. But that does seem like that's also um, part of God's God's design is that we'd be instructing and you know whether you can even think of that as discipleship basically. And another, uh, you're making disciples in the home. Well, what? How does the fall impact work in your field? <laughs>
1: Well, as we are uh, in close contact with the boys all day, (laughs) we um, all have sin, and that sin um, rugs against other sinners, and so I mean, I should probably start with my own sin, but um, Mm. just impatience, um, selfishness. Um, Pride, all of those things can come out as I'm um, teaching my kids, um, and they're not maybe moving as fast as I think they should be, or, um, you know, we just went over this and we're doing it again. And and then just in their own sin, I mean, their laziness or disobedience, of course, is a big one, or, um, yeah. And then also, besides that, um, I think there is. I have a, a, a tendency to compare myself to others and mm-hmm. the world that we live in with Instagram and all, you know, you see all these homeschool moms that are doing everything just so and so perfectly and doing all these things, but just um, trying to be, not compare myself to them and not try right. to, to do all those things that the Lord doesn't have for me. And um, I think the big thing is light, the life of Satan and the world's message that the home uh, doesn't matter, and that my role as a homemaker is like second best, and right. um, you know, I, you know, it's it's meaning less or mindless or unimportant or insignificant.
0: Right? Yeah. No, you're right. There's, you know, the original sin is the one doctrine someone said for which you have empirical evidence. I, you see it every day. I mean, how could you do that? Oh, wait a second. Right. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, but. Yeah, I noticed that. In, I mean, as a parent as well, just the tendency to be always like trying to compare yourself with others, and realizing underneath that, that that's really a pride. That's uh, wanting to be better than other people, wanting to be perceived as having it all together, idolizing that perfect family that has all their you know everything in a row. <sighs> yeah, it's certainly sin. Affects it's it's uh, insidious. It gets into every corner of our of our lives in the home. Well, how does the gospel reshape your perspective on all of these things?
1: Yeah, I think um, just knowing that I can't save my boys, um, homeschooling them can't save them. Um, keeping my home a certain way can't save them, but only God can save them. Um, and I just need to be faithful to to do what God has called me to do. Um, like we kind of talked about in here, like he's given us his treasure in jars of clay, and so I'm that jar of clay that's imperfect, and yet in my weakness and in my thinking, like, I I can never be enough for my kids, and that's okay, like, that's, right. um, but God is, and, um, and God's showing his strength and his power in my weakness. Yeah. It's every day, minute by minute, that I'm like, I can't do this. And right. Just remembering that God shows his strength in those times. Um, yeah, and then also, I think, even just seeing, um, as I as I keep my home taking chaos and making it orderly like you can see gospel and the Lord working um, is, is out of order um, and yeah I think I already said that but like I have to I mean we we talked about that I have to like show grace and forgiveness to sinners who don't deserve it <laughs> and I get frustrated in that or I get beat down in that and then I'm like oh wait I think the Lord shows infinitely more grace and forgiveness right. to me as a sinner Most
0: Holy God. Yeah, and I think, I mean, along those same lines, I've just seen, I mean, the gospel is, it reminds us of how we're to respond when we sin as well. That, you know, it's not like the gospel isn't the message that you have to have your life all put together. Uh, It's the message that when we sin, we confess it. He's faithful, He's just, He forgives us. So hopefully, for all of us, the home is a good opportunity to put that into practice. Any, any questions? I know we've got a lot of other um, homemakers. Tom?
2: Uh, Can you tell us the journey you took to choose this vocation?
1: (laughs) Yeah, actually, that's good. I um, I was a teacher. I I graduated from college, liberal study, teacher ed, and I started teaching fourth grade. And I had said, maybe not right at the beginning, Mary, but before that, I had said I would never homeschool, never gonna homeschool, especially as I was learning to be a teacher. Um, And and actually, I even saw students in my class that, you know, would leave school to homeschool and I'm like, what, you know, what are they doing? um, And then the Lord was like, oh, yeah, you're going to say you're never gonna homeschool? And I was like, well, okay, maybe I'll homeschool, but I don't know what curriculum to use. And then I met Trish Watson, and she's like, "This is what I do," and I'm like, "Yes, I love all that." But I'm not going to homeschool unless I have like a co-op. And then I happen to find myself at um, a CC info meeting, and I'm like, "Yes, this is exactly what I want." So the Lord just like, hmm. like everything else, where I have being stubborn, He just opens up yeah. that door and pushes me through. Yeah.
0: Yeah. <laughs> do you think you'd ever go back to teaching?
1: I don't know. Yeah, i yeah, kind of excited to think because as our boys get older and I see the light of like, oh, they're not always going to be at home and then, oh, what will I do with my time? But like just being excited for other ministry opportunities in church. And, right. Yeah, I don't know.
0: Yeah. The yep. All right, well, let me close in prayer. Thanks, Sarah. Our Father in Heaven, we thank You so much for the good news of what You've done for us in Christ. This message of reconciliation that we can be made right with You. I pray that you would help us as your ambassadors to be faithful in communicating that message to those around us. Even to just start by praying for, for specific people that we have opportunity to, to know and relate with in, the, in our workplace and in our homes. We pray for your help, God. Help us in our weakness, in the all of the ways that we fall short. Help us to rely upon your strength and your grace. And we pray for fruit, for the salvation of our children and for the salvation of our co-workers as well. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.